I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Charlie Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, save the Johnny drama for your blabba. I heard they were dismembering people down the street. Those Joneses, you gotta love them. Various disguises are regrettable but necessary. And you're gonna make it through the day. Every day. Every day. Every day I start to lose. Every day. Every day. Every day I start to lose. I don't know if that worked. <laughs> nope. Is it because I just I just added I just added more syllables to make it rhyme? Like, first of all, drama and well drum drum and blob don't don't rhyme. Uh and then two was is blaba supposed to be like blaga? Is that what you're going no, for? No, blaba. This is the blob. No, I I know, but like save the Johnny drama for your blaba, like for the blog that people are writing about Johnny drama. (laughs) (laughs) Why would it have anything to do with a blog? Look, don't look at me like I'm not making any fucking sense. You didn't (laughs) rhyme right. (laughs) I was trying to give you more credit. I have uh, a looser definition of what rhyming is because I don't know if you know this, but like, uh, like I've listened to hip hop. I watch Dead Poets Society. I understand that rhyme is not some strict set of rules, Aaron. Okay. Have you read anything by the person who invented hip hop, uh, Bill Shakespeare? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about this Bill Shakespeare. Was he sort of the gangsta? Uh... <laughs> Where we left to watch, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that month around that theme. That's gotten super wordy, and I don't know if it makes sense anymore. Uh, and if we remember. We compare and contrast, and we're doing a double month. July and August, Scream makes horror remakes that are, for the most part, very much worth your time. And in this case, better than the original, because we are doing 1988's uh, The Blob. Not The Blog, and not The Blaba. The Blob. Uh, And we're joined by, uh, unfortunately, preferred... Uh, more and family member Bill Fox was unavailable tonight. <laughs> oh, so, damn. At the, last, at the last minute, we got uh, Peter's biological brother. Yeah, my first blood. Us. Your first blood. Yeah. So that, the, Rambo was about him finally hanging out with his brother, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Rambo was very specifically about him uh, finally recording a podcast with Brian Dennehy's <laughs> character, who was his biological <laughs> brother. As opposed to all the podcasts he recorded in Vietnam with just his, like, brothers in arms. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, Charlie Moran is here. This Is is this up, the guys? first, like, actual blood-rated... Uh, blood-rated. <laughs> this podcast is yeah, rated top blood. A, a plus, A plus, S rank, blood-rated <laughs> relative of the show. Uh, as a guest, I think so. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Um, we established on the Clueless episode that while Molly and I uh, are married and in love, we are not related. Um, not blood related. No. Not blood related. Yeah. This isn't Clueless. Yeah. This, um. this, exactly. This is not. This is not the Paul Rudd uh, Alicia Silverstone relationship in Clueless, which, as we established, borders on incest. This is pure. Just Charlie and I. First, this is incest. Not even close. To incest. <laughs> this is pot. The pot. Incest. thing from incest. 
<laughs> yeah, you're in two separate locations. My statement on incest is raising a lot of questions that are answered by my statement on incest. <laughs> uh, it's funny we've Peter and I have joked about this uh, that a lot of podcasts when they start out like have a lot of guests that are just because of whoever's available to have another voice. They have like uh, you know brothers, brothers-in-laws, mm-hmm. girlfriends, spouses, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, and we. Waited like years to just bring in the people around <laughs> with us. Um, we like sought out experts, yeah, uh, people that have things to say about movies, and now we're just like, you know what? We can't take this thing if we tried. <laughs> <laughs> You've exhausted all the experts. You got me now. <laughs> we got yeah. We got Charlie. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Uh, but I believe you are, from my understanding, a media mogul or work for a media mogul what do you call that but a company uh i work for a media company doing tech stuff uh in los angeles and great yeah yeah that's what i do and how do you know peter again uh oh i met him when i was seven and (laughs) we shared a room he was a roommate for several years and uh i uh i used to change his diapers occasionally i haven't done that in many years though how many uh years did you share a room was that like did did he have his own baby room? Because, fun fact about children, they wake up quite often. Yeah, I I used to have to like when he it was pretty cruel when he was born. Uh, he slept in my parents' room for a while, and then they eventually just dumped him in with me. Uh, and we shared him for a long time, but he was just like a screaming baby, and my parents were just kind of like let him be. <laughs> it became my job. <laughs> It was my job to get him to go to sleep. I don't think ferberizing works when you have another child in the room. <laughs> no. <laughs> we're, we're sleep training Peter and anger training Charlie yeah. at the same time. We're training him to hate his brother. <laughs> well, they screwed that up because I love him. Yeah. We're very close for being um, seven years apart, which I, I tell people that we're seven years apart, and I don't know if it's because we look very similar or because we're very close, but people uh, have a hard time believing believing that. Yeah. You guys do look very similar. Yeah. <laughs> I will say yeah. that. We, uh, we've agreed, we agreed recently that Charlie and I were, uh, he was like uh, the IPA and I was the Imperial IPA. <laughs> as insufferable as that is. Like 30% bigger. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. 30% drunker, editing. I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure who's editing this one, but I implore you to take it out. What you just said, it's part of the edit, uh, so we can continue to have listens to the podcast. Yeah, so Charlie, have you ever listened to this show? Yeah, lots, and it's weird to be on it because, like, I was listening to you guys talk, and for a minute, thought I was merely listening to it rather than participating in it for a moment. We've we've actually heard that before, uh, which is funny. That like. Uh huh. <laughs> That you listen to it in, like, a very specific context, like, in your car, or you're cleaning your house, mm-hmm. or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to talk now. Yeah, yeah, my context is with a microphone, I'm talking to my computer. That's usually when I listen to you guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you record your own In your car. I record my own. Yeah, interjections. Charlie records fan edits where he adds, yeah, commentary. Yes. yes. Before we get into the movie proper, this stars, uh, this stars a, a little boy, before he was a big boy. Before he was a little brother, before he was a big brother, named Johnny Drama, real name something else. I'm, I'm legitimately forgetting what his. <laughs> yeah, I was legitimately forgetting what his real name was. But, I, I, was I, but also, I wanted to look at a picture of him because I, I, I wanted to confirm that he had a mullet. Um, oh yeah, I googled 
the blob Johnny drama. And it just poked up like, did you mean Kevin Dillon? I was like, absolutely not. I would have typed in Kevin Dillon if I meant that. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he's, he's in this movie. He is, I think some would say the main character. I am not sure if he says anything throughout the whole movie. Does anyone remember a line he says? He says like, he says like, man. <laughs> I, I That's it? Yeah. That's it. I think that's about it. I, I So I, it's not, the first time I saw this movie was last October. It has not been that long. And I remember laughing that like, I don't think they've given him a line. Um, I think it's one of those things where, like, you try to get a pretty face, but then you also mess that up a little bit. Uh-oh. Yeah, there's something just off about his face. Yeah, but he's he's got he's got a little bit. He's not as good an actor as Tom Hardy, but he does have that sort of Tom Hardy energy where you're like, is this person an actor? <laughs> like, I, I love mean, as Tom someone Hardy. who's seen as someone who's seen all eight seasons of Entourage, Peter, no, he is not <laughs> an actor. So he's a non-actor playing an actor in real life and in the show Entourage. Uh, I did watch all of Entourage. You did your o- Entourage in Entourage. I did. Yeah, I know. That's what it sounds like. That's what it feels like. Um, I literally like as I think about it, I imagine what it's uh, when people who climbed Mount Everest think about the last leg, like that feeling that washes over them as they like about at the summit. And are starving and are cold and just want it to be over. When I think of Entourage, that is the feeling that washes over me. Uh, it and Rescue Me, another show that started out okay and then became just a fucking torturous cesspit that I watched week in, week out. They both ended the same year. It was like a maybe I don't like TV anymore moment <laughs> because uh, it is it is a burden. <laughs> Uh, that's been placed on me on my DVR every single week. I was going to say, I imagine it's the same feeling that people have uh, when they get the stigmata. It's just like, oh, <laughs> this is my cross to bear. <laughs> um, as, a, as, a, as a consumer of media slash follower of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think mine for that was Nip Tuck. Like Nip Tuck started out uh, this like, it was, it was it was all in that same era of like, prestige tv but also trashy and like that that like that era made me think the shield was a bad show for a long time because i was like well nip tuck and rescue me were actually secretly not good therefore everything else in that era was garbage right um the shield is amazing um but like great but nip tuck was that my show like that where i just i had to ride i had to ride that sucker out and it also uh gave me this like this long-standing like Oh, a Ryan Murphy show, huh? I gotta... All right, well, I guess maybe I'll watch, like, an episode. And then you remember, like, it, it's like getting back into a bad relationship. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember why you're terrible. But, like, when I'm out of it, it looks so appealing and trashy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, terrible show. Let's talk about something else terrible before we get into the blob. Uh, Charlie. Yeah. You uh, were in a ska band. <laughs> 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 oh my god she's being interrogated right now right off the bat wow well i don't wow. know i mean i don't know when charlie's gonna be back on or if he'll ever talk to you again after this. you might have gotten a second and episode before this that's all i'm saying i just look we've talked about it a couple times i know it's not related to the blob if you uh if you don't want to hear about charlie's ska band experience Fast forward about 20 minutes. Just fast forward (laughs) till you hear. He's going to take us through from singles to EPs (laughs) to albums, track by track. Uh, No, so it did. 
it's come up because we did uh, Smash Mouth on our sidecast. Mm. Uh, don't don't you dare! And then we did Real Big Fish. Oh yeah, and I think it like slowly got more and more about how not only were you in a ska band, but you had a what do you call those? Like the 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 landing, the face landing strip, the chin strip. What Is that? <laughs> like a you, questionable questionable facial hair is what I was discussing. Wait, I had a question. Wait, I when when I was in a Scott band, th- I couldn't grow fa- I couldn't grow facial hair in high school. Oh, maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of a different member of your band. Oh, probably. <laughs> There's a lot of white guys in there. I love the <laughs> idea that uh, Peter, who lived with you, yeah, couldn't in, in his mind when he thinks back on those days, pictures you with facial hair that you could grow. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you released an album. What? No, no, no. We no, we didn't release an album. We were just like a. Like a high school band that recorded a bunch of like punk ska stuff like in our basement. And you did have an album cover and an album. Okay, and but we tape. didn't like I don't know what releasing means. We like recorded Well it. like that you gave it to your friends and family yeah, for okay. your charge, probably. Okay. Yes, I would yes, I would describe <laughs> it as that. We did do that. And it, it did have a picture of like my friend's like kind of like gelatinous belly on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had it on like an early version of SoundCloud, right? Where you could, people could pay like pennies for the song or something. Yeah, we were on the original mp3.com and we we made like a buck 50 or something from plays. Oh, that's so cool. Oh. But we never collected cuz it had to add up to like <laughs> like $20 I think before they would pay you anything. <laughs> And we never got there. You're just, every day you're checking, like, someday, guys, we're yeah. going to each, I assume there were 30 members in the band. Uh Because yeah, it was a ska band. Yeah. And some, we're each going to get 75 cents. And that's, uh, in 2003 surges. <laughs> so, and you mentioned in the green room, this is, might be a, like, a, what was the name of your band? Sorry. Uh, second time around. Uh, was that based on the step-by-step theme song? <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> was it really? No. It was because oh. there was, like, there was original incarnation of the band that, like, wasn't working. And then I joined the band, and we totally reconfigured the band. And we didn't have anything better to call ourselves. So you're kind of like when Genesis lost uh, two of its members and named their next album, and then there was three before <laughs> yeah. the band? Yeah, it was exactly like that. I was the... Exactly the- Sure. I You're like, like all right, guys, I guess I got to sing now. <laughs> uh, and, and to clarify, you kicked me out of the first configuration of the band. <laughs> no, you were never in the band. You kicked out, you, you kicked out the, uh, the, the, the one Peter Gabriel, just as Genesis once did. <laughs> yes, we did. We did. Um, I was joking. So I was second time around. I was a child. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I assumed Peter. Like, hey guys, I'm gonna. Can I play recorder in the back? Or show off kung fu moves. Well, Peter. I mean, you know, Peter used to play trumpet, right? Have, we, have you guys talked about that? We have not. Yeah, I was. I was. I was a. I was a, a brass man. I was training for the ska wars, and by the time that, uh, <laughs> similar to my grandfather in World War II, by the time uh, you know I was ready for action, uh, the the war was over. Ska was dead. Well, that is fun. Charlie, thank you for coming on Scott Talk, mm-hmm. our sidecast that we do, usually in the middle of episodes that you've been featured on. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't watch the movie. I just thought we were on here to talk about Scott. <laughs> you can kind of guess the movie. It's like, uh, there's a blob. <laughs> sure. Got it. Okay, I'll wing it. Well, I think the merriment can end. Let's get super serious. Yeah, no more mirth. No, I think the mirth is done. I think the house of mirth is done. I think the house of yes is a thing yeah last you mirth, guys, more girth 
Yeah, they, do you think there was a porn parody of the House of Birth called the House of Girth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Thank you. Thank you for not building on the riff and just uh, acknowledging that, yes, that probably happened. I said, yes, why not? And then I was building on the riff and then you stepped on it. So I was about to yes and, but it'd be like if you... It was too long. You weren't yes anding. It'd be like if you were... It'd be like if I were like, yes, and then you interrupted right between the yes and the and. Yeah, it was like, well, it's not not pause, 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 yes and. Yeah, Skype delight. Um, We're gonna... What I was gonna say is that's an appropriate (laughs) riff because uh, this movie has Del Close in it, which we'll talk about. And the second half, do you guys want to talk about the blob? Blob. 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 Sure. Don't put your dick in it. <laughs> just the blob. Don't put your dick good in advice. it. Um, well, especially here. Like this this guy's like it might be gooey as far as we know it's warm. It didn't come from outer space uh, apparently. Um Oh, we'll get to it. Uh, yeah, but I don't put your dick in it. Don't put your dick in this blob. <laughs> don't put your dick in this blob. Was that it? Wait, did, uh, did someone try putting it in during the movie? No, but did you see what happened to everyone who touched the blob? Oh, sure, yeah. So so don't put your dick in it. You're extrapolating. I'm assuming the blob treats dicks no differently than any other part <laughs> of the human body. And based on all the evidence, yeah, I think we can extrapolate that if your dick blows up, it would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if it would blow up. It actually looks like it implodes. Yeah, it kind of like it, sucks it, it, it together. Uh, it uh, gooifies. Um, gooifies. It takes all the... No place on your body has more yummy goo than your dick. <laughs> and it takes all the, the goo. <laughs> it's a goo eater. Oh. <laughs> uh, the gooification uh, really uh, becomes complete when uh, the thing reaches the waist level. I, I Everyone's say. like, the blob's been in there forever. <laughs> What's it doing? That normally the gooification process doesn't take this long, and one of the scientists is like, "It's because he started with this guy's dick. <laughs> There's so much goo. <laughs> we actually have a lot of time to stop the blob if we want, because." There's so much goo in this dick. Yeah, you just. Do you think like balls are cooler so that they're a defense against the blob? You know, that's like a lower temperature than the rest of your body. Yeah, I think you're right. That's why it takes so long because yeah. first it's gotta. It's it's actually kind of a pleasant experience because first it needs to thaw out the balls a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it starts out a little bit pleasurable. Yeah, and then once the gooification starts, it goes to. Again, I haven't experienced it personally. 
You're just speaking as a scientist. As a scientist who is evil, it is bad. Yeah, the, the mad scientist in the movie is like, we can't stop now. We haven't seen what it does to big old hogs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't, Kevin Dillon, don't tell people we haven't got to hog testing yet. <laughs> like, wait to turn us in until we get to the thing we've been waiting for. What's it do to those hogs? <laughs> and he's like, I'll put my dick in it. Yeah, I, I definitely think you can edit this out of this is too sad by the time. We're recording this in early June. This comes out in early August. Uh, it is a weird confluence of a lot of things going on right now. Mm. Where a scientist responsible uh, for a pandemic points a gun at an innocent uh, unarmed person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot. A lot of the news is kind of combining in one moment. <clears throat> yeah, and we just did the crazies as well, which had a lot of uh, COVID-y moments. I was not expecting that. I was expecting them there. I was not, you know, a movie about a uh, a uh, virus spreading around and the government stepping in to try and stop it. Uh, I was not expecting it in a movie about a killer blob. I was not expecting to get COVID pangs. I don't think you do you need to say killer blob. Are there blobs that don't kill people? Like, you know, like a killer whale situation? Uh, like, some whales have... Is there, like, a baleen version of a blob <laughs> that just <laughs> filters goo through Yeah, its, yeah, the blob that they yeah. have at every summer camp is a friendly blob. Yeah. Yeah. That blob is fine. It actually is just taking microscopic goo from the air. It doesn't have teeth. It can't hurt you. Can't hurt is you. that what's inside those things? Whales? Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's called baleen. <laughs> yeah, so Peter, what the fuck happens in this blobby movie? Now uh, that we know that uh, no hog, they never get to the hog. Never get to the hog. They they're stopped dead before they get to Hogtown. Um, so the blob uh, is a remake of the original movie, but with some key differences. Um, the it it's starts good. off more or less the same. Um, you know, uh, asteroid from space arrives. It gloms onto a member of the community this time, a homeless person. Uh, he uh, heads towards the hospital, but while while he's heading towards the hospital, uh, he, actually he's not heading towards the hospital. He's running around like crazy, screaming. They're like, "There's something on my hand!" or whatever he's yelling. Um, we're kind Why of cut off your hand. <laughs> but in the process of this guy getting infected, we're meeting uh, the the. Two and a half main characters, I'll say. Uh, one is the uh, the uh, town cheerleader. <laughs> What's her name? Uh, I know her. Shawnee Smith is the actress's name. Begins with an S, right? Star- Mar. She starred in the hit hit show Becker. She starred in Becker. She was also in the show, uh, the movie, the Saw, Saw three, Saw- four, five. No, she was in all of them. She becomes uh, Saw Boys. She becomes Saw Jr. Yeah, she gets adopted by Saw. Yeah, the littlest Saw. Um, so Meg. Meg. So, uh, yeah, Shawnee Smith it plays Meg. She is the cheerleader uh, on the football team who's got the hots for um, Paul Taylor, who uh, is the uh, on the football team as well. Uh, Paul asks her out on a date, and they're about to go on their date. Um, when they run into, uh, this, uh, this homeless guy 
Um, and uh, they also run into Kevin Dillon, uh, Brian Flagg. They run into Flagg uh, as well. He's sort of the town bad boy. He's got a motorcycle. He's really trying to jump this this big uh, ravine gulch. What, what, do you, what would you call it? Dirt hole? Uh, it's like a bridge, right? It's not like a... Yeah. It's like a broken down bridge a with a little bit of ramp to it, right? If he like really goes for it, he can get it, but he can't quite get it. Um, so he's the town bad boy, but he's sort of a bad boy with a heart of gold, rebel with a heart of gold, uh, and he really wants to help this homeless guy, but he also doesn't want to get blamed for for uh, his death. So what he does is <clears throat> he goes to the hospital with uh, Meg and Paul uh, to make sure that uh, he doesn't get blamed for all this shit. And uh, at the hospital, the blob uh, completely consumes the homeless guy and becomes a larger creature and just the moment that you think this movie is going to be kind of like you know a love triangle between flag meg and paul um the movie is like fuck that we're killing the football player he's the least interesting character in the movie <laughs> and it consumes uh paul also there's a weird subplot with a doctor that does not like to be disturbed during emergencies <laughs> it lasts two minutes mm-hmm. but paul really suffers because of it <laughs> he's like <laughs> Can a goddamn doctor just hang out in his office all day? <laughs> I'm talking to this lady. This person's dying. Not when I'm talking to this lady. She's not. I need to pronounce them dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he spent most of medical school just hanging out with the professor, and so he thinks that's what it is. Mm, patience, gross. <laughs> I like the office work part of being a doctor. <laughs> Isn't the doctor also a Twin Peaks alum? You're, you're, you're the one that's in charge of this, Aaron. Oh, yeah. No, I I have a whole note, but uh, yeah, the only note is that it's fucking awesome that Jack Nance is mm-hmm. the doctor in this movie. It's pre-Twin Peaks, but post-Eraserhead, obviously. Yeah, he was just proving himself uh, as a bad doctor. Um, Do you think he plays a doctor on Twin Peaks? Uh, he is uh, the fisherman, no. and he's the head of the lumber mill, right? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I don't think he's the head. Of, he's definitely not the head of the lumber no. mill. No. <laughs> But he works there. He works there. I haven't watched Twin he's, Peaks. No, he's married to years. the head of the lumber mill. Oh, he's married to the head of the lumber mill. And then doesn't he, he just remarry? likes fishing. He remarries yeah. the, the the younger lady. And then there's like a fight over the lumber mill. And it burns. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember. We're watching it right now. Remarrying. <laughs> For the first time? Yeah. I've never seen it. What uh, what episode are you on? We're on uh, S2E7. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it's going to get very bad, and then you can do the return, and the return is supposed to be very good. It's about to get very, very, very good, and then it's going to be bad for a while, Yeah, and then it's going to get amazingly good, and then the return is all good. Yeah, it's kind of tough right now. Sasha's very much checking out of it. It's it's pretty slow. Really? Right now? Yeah, actually, I kind of like it right now. I think it's getting better. We're we're the part where... They haven't solved solved who killed Laura Palmer yet. Right? Uh, they, well, they think it was Jacques Renault, but now it sounds oh, like yeah. it's this other guy, uh, Bob, I think? Uh, but they haven't found Bob yet. Got it. All right. Well, talk to me in a few episodes. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, anyways. So, um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, the, the, do- the, everyone in the hospital, uh, freaks out because the blob has, there was a t- affixed to the the homeless person's arm um, has uh, grown tremendously. It kills Paul Taylor, and then it sort of uh, shimmies off into the night, um, leaving a crime scene in its wake. 
uh, Flag gets uh, arrested for the crime, and then they have to let him go because there's absolutely no evidence. Uh, and then they go to... Did you suck out all this man's goo? <laughs> I'm not a goo sucker. How, how would I do that? <laughs> I never suck goo, okay? How would I do it? I gooify. I don't eat the goo. That's that's my rule. I'm all right, drunk. we gotta let him go. Victory! <laughs> Vinny! <laughs> I told him I never suck no goo. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about Johnny Drama, but is he always looking for a New York slice around his LA? Catchphrase is, his catchphrase is victory, and he holds both of his arms up. That's his catchphrase. Victory! I mean, I guess that's better than whatever Jeremy Piven's catchphrase, which is like, something racist against Asians! <laughs> don't like gay people! <laughs> <laughs> What kind of Voltron did we just form? (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Because his assistant was both Asian and gay. And he was not nice. He hated that guy. He hated that guy so much. And then the the Emmys are like, give that guy awards. I don't like that guy either. How how great would it be if Entourage ended with just uh, uh, Jeremy Piven being murdered in his sleep by his assistant? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the crew overdosing on fentanyl. like they just for some reason it just becomes a Scorsese movie at the end of all of it. Uh, kill me. Anyways, um, so yeah, so they um, uh, they, they they go to the local diner. The uh, the girlfriend Mag and oh, I guess an ex girlfriend uh-huh. Mag and uh, Flag <laughs> go to the diner to sort of commiserate, and then the blob attacks there again, kills the waitstaff, kills the 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 um, server, uh, kills the town sheriff. Uh, just in a horrific manner. And then they go on the run. Most of the rest of the movie is kind of running away. The blob shows up a place and they run away from the blob until we get to, um, they run into- Well, you, you forget about the one thing the blob does that is good. Which is like, now he does kill the target of the sexual assault, but he is, he stops the sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh... I would argue uh, that the blob is uh, morally in that moment at best a wash. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on if you're looking at the blob's entire interaction with those two people. If you if you jump in mentally at the same point that the movie jumps in when the character is, I believe, already dead. I believe it's all positive. Uh, but yeah, the blob <coughs> murders yeah. Uh, both a sexual assault victim, uh, would-be sexual assault victim, and a would necrophiliac. I guess um, it murders both of them um, in a in a very blobby fashion. It does it very blob-like. It doesn't like it doesn't like take the form of like a human person and shoot it, and everyone's like, "Who shot Jr.?" It, it, it blobs them. Um, do you think that's what happened on Dallas? Do no idea. I haven't seen it. I am not. You a think, you think, years a old. Sh- you think a shapeshifter was involved, <laughs> which is why everyone was so confused. <laughs> oh, who shot Jr.? Because how could you possibly tell? It's just a shapeshifter impersonating people in the town of Dallas. I like to think the blob wears a hat. Wears <laughs> <laughs> a hat. It's just a pink blobby form, but it's got a hat. Uh, I would say canonically, 
in the Dallas Continuum, Patrick Duffy's character is played by the blob in shape-shifting form, who eventually is run out of town as he's discovered to be the blob, and then step-by-step is a literal follow-up where Patrick Duffy uh, is still the blob, but has to pretend to uh, marry Suzanne Summers and raise six kids. (laughs) Whoa. Step-by-step, day-by-day. And then if you remember, there's a character, Corey, who gets written off the show. I like to think that he was gooified by Patrick Duffy's character. He's got to goo sometime. What's he going to do? Not goo? Yeah. He's got to goo. Anytime you never see a guest star back on Step by Step, it's because Patrick Duffy's character has gooified and eaten him off screen. <laughs> <laughs> That's canon now. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> hey, guys. Oh, no. Uh, totally weird we never saw him back in whatever small town wisconsin yeah uh kareem abdul jabbar was canonically eaten by the blob anyway so the the whole point is he's blobbing around town doing his blob thing and then uh you know what i know it's gonna derail us and you already started moving on but you know there's an episode of full house where kareem abdul jabbar teaches jesse how to play basketball yeah, I think that's what I was thinking of. I just okay. remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had a had a way of cameoing. That guy loved to show up on TGIF. Yeah, I did. I did like a, uh, I did like a shot in the dark. I was like, all right, wh- who would have been famous enough at the time that the, it would have mattered, but not so famous where it would have cost any amount of money to get them on the show. <laughs> he just likes to hang out. He just teach Uncle to- Jesse a few things about. Uh, hitting the buckets you can continue yeah cool 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 um so they run into the military and at first it seems like the military is cool but as we've learned recently um the military is not military's never your friend we are learning the lesson right now that uh every every country on the planet has been taught for the past 300 years of this country uh that the military is sometimes by our military yeah yeah. So, uh, and they, they, the military is actually using this in sort of a Resident Evil style uh, experiment. The bioweapon was intended to land here. Uh, unlike the crazies, where it was, it was, I think it was clearly an accident. It was a, it was a whoopsie daisy. It was, yeah. a, it was a whoopsie daisy. Because, I mean, they probably wouldn't have purposefully crashed their plane. They probably would have dropped it from the plane. Um, yeah, planes crash all the time. It's the most common cause of death. That's, that's what they say. That's what they say. Not going to challenge it because, as we established earlier, most you are dangerous a thing you could do is to get on a, a plane. True, true, true. So uh, the military turns out to be bad. The lead military scientist guy is like, "This is all an experiment." Uh, he gets consumed by the blob on Main Street. The blob has grown to such an epic proportion that we're leading towards our final confrontation on Main Street with the blob. It's chasing people down the street. It chases them into City Hall, sort of a siege moment. Um, and, uh, Johnny Drama is like, I don't like this. I don't like this. This doesn't look like victory. And he, uh, <laughs> he, he drives a, a icy freeze truck, um, similar to, uh, sort of, uh, premeditating, uh, uh, Terminator 2, drives a freezy freeze truck and at the blob, uh, freezes it, uh, gets blown up with the help of Meg, uh, and it kills the blob, dusts them with... <laughs> probably safe blob molecules uh and we think we're we think we're out of the clear and then del close who was playing a mad preacher the whole time del close fucking uh oh, yeah. we gotta spend a long time on this priest yeah he's yeah. he's he, 
he is uh, standing in a revivalist tent. He very much believes in the end of days now. And he uh, he's, he's drinking in the back of his tent and he holds up his living sample of the blob showing that uh, this is not over. And it sets up a sequel that never happened, but would be amazing. Like the idea of the blob being uh, deployed by uh, yeah. a fucking like apocalypse cult. Yeah, the, the ending tag is amazing. Uh, it helps that literally... So this priest character is in the movie, not much. <laughs> and then he it's starts just like, I guess, op- the end of days, because that's in the Bible. He starts by meeting Paul when Paul's buying some condoms. And... Or not Paul. What's his friend's name? I don't know. Rapey? Scott. Scott. Yeah, Scott. Scott's buying condoms, and he runs into the priest. And the priest, like... A priest has not made me that uncomfortable since the movie Spotlight. <laughs> he is just like, oh, it looks like you're growing very well. Like, he has a huge smile on his face. It is a, a weird performance post, like, revelations about the Catholic Church. Like, it probably was just like, oh, he's just a friendly, dorky priest in 1988. Now, it's like, oh, something happened at that church. Like, I don't know how else to say it, but... uh Scott is good to get away. Uh, yeah, and then he, he like, supposedly dies from the blob, and it's a great idea to have him as, like, a, a tent revivalist who's both preaching the end of days and also deciding when the end of days happen. So probably a little bit once the do- donations dry up, you're getting blobbed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 there's there's so many ways to take the sequel, right? Because, like... He's, this guy's clearly a creep from the beginning and just needs to push over the line. But like something like the existence of a bioweapon, like a Resident Evil style bioweapon is enough to make anybody crazy. Right. Um, yeah. I have to ask, Charlie, were you were you still playing Resident Evil games when they got like really insane? And like it was about like military industrial complex selling the weapon to p- different countries. No, no, I think I quit with Resident Evil 2, I think. On original PlayStation, maybe I think was the last one. I don't think it got like super conspiracy theorists. It's a good game. It's a good game. Um, the but yeah. Have you played the remake? No. You you should. You should. Yeah. I've got like a I've got like a hot list of games for Charlie to play on PS4, and that that's on the list because it's also nice and short. Um, the the blob reminds me very much of a <clears throat> of a um a Resident Evil style monster. Um, even though it's obviously, we'll talk about it as like a, a classic sort of, uh, archetype, uh, a little bit, but like, uh, my first impression was like, the town is called Arborville, which sounds just like fucking Raccoon City and like the men in suits, like exactly. the fact that government, this was developed for war originally. And now it's being like, um, now it's being deployed and tested on, on our populace. And it kind of relies on like uh rebels outside the system to to take it down as opposed to you know um it's not like umbrella insiders are taking it down yeah um and yeah and obviously there's the crazies connection which is just you know it's it's interesting that we picked both of these movies it probably says something about our underlying tastes yeah and this kind of like speaks to something that happens a lot in these remakes like this movie besides having a blob doesn't have much connection to the original movie but it is commenting to some extent on, like, what was more interesting to audiences at the time of its release. Like, it is, in 1950s, it was, it was space. Things came from space, aliens, monsters, giant ants, whatever else it is. Like, that was what was interesting to audiences. So, 
of course, uh, a gooey blob, uh, which couldn't, could, which legally could not have uh, destroyed hogs because of the Hayes Code in 1953, came from space. Where in 1988, uh, gov- it was more government conspiracies. Like they they tell Johnny Drama, "Oh shit, yeah, it's from space. We gotta get it." And then later, you find out it's actually the you know Resident Evil style biological weapon that they're using as a as a test. And I feel like you know post post Nixon, post Reagan era, like we're a couple uh, years away from the X Files becoming a huge hit on television, like. It, it definitely, besides just having better special effects, the, like, of its era change is that space not that interesting. What if it's your own government? Yeah, yeah, because definitely Watergate planted the seed. And I would imagine... Government bad, Reagan question mark? And the Iron Contra affair and, like... Oh, yeah. Like, general distrust of the government by uh, liberal folks, um, people that didn't vote for Reagan, um, <clears throat> was brewed into movies like this. Uh, and they live, and there's some, there's a lot of sort of conspiracy thrillers of the late '80s going into the '90s that were yeah. clearly made by people who were um, not happy with the way Reagan was handling the country and the fact that he was clearly like a skeevy fucking asshole who tricked a lot of people by putting on this sort of like hokey, hokey. I'm just an everyday guy kind of kind of accent when in reality he was uh, doing just as lascivious, awful shit as Nixon. And he was so successful at it that they buried that past so deep that, like, people don't think about Reagan as bad as Nixon, but what he did was far worse in some ways. I mean, not yeah, as bad Reagan... as Cambodia or Vietnam, but, like, holy shit, like, look at look at Iran and look at what Reagan did in South America, and you're going to have to actually count fucking dead bodies to figure out which is worse. Well, also, I think you can make the case that, um, that Reagan is, like, responsible for for everything that's happened now like nixon was pretty uniformly thrown out and like while he did a ton of terrible shit his like legacy of like following in his footsteps was was less prevalent where with reagan he was like a hero his vice president won the next election and like everything that's been bad about our country uh yeah i do think reagan is 100 percent responsible for the blob in this town oh yeah this was totally a reagan project he did iron contra and then he did uh blob blobistan <laughs> <laughs> yep but wait, how, what's the mechanics of this so they created this blob as a weapon and they put it in like a giant metal ball and then they intentionally flung it like into this forest near this neighborhood near the city yeah i love the idea of like the plausible deniability of like some catapult yeah like, in case anyone sees it <laughs> we can't just drive a car and drop it off <laughs> let's make it f- let's make it crash into the town in a fiery like put some put some uh some uh, gas on the outside light it on fire yeah. launch it with this catapult for our secret government mission <laughs> i love how fucking naive that one guy is in the lab who's like i didn't know we'd be testing this on our own populace and i was like what did you think when you dropped the blob near a town dude you think you were testing it on turtles <laughs> no this movie has johnny drama zero turtle I thought the catapult was a one-year anniversary of a successful test. I thought it was all part of our 4th of July party. Um, Famous 4th were... of July catapult. As everyone said, did you just load a gun? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> he just cocked his rifle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought of a blob, yeah. but I had to cock my rifle. Anytime I feel like you're disparaging one of my jokes, I just throw an empty round out of the gun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, the, the the fact that this is like a government test clearly speaks to like uh, a more like liberally view of um, how the government, how little the government could be trusted uh, post Watergate. Uh, the, the country uniformly rejected uh, Jimmy Carter. And after that, we immediately got like this, this clearly fucking corrupt goon um, who put on this, this, you know, smile and wholesome face for, for all the, I starred with a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I say a monkey looks into the soul of a man and the monkey knows whether a man is good or not, which is why, we only killed 15 monkeys on the set of my movie. <laughs> yeah, do you think in the 50s when he made Bedtime for Bozos or whatever the fuck that movie's called, <laughs> that, like, that was one monkey who was treated humanely? He was probably like, just remember, this is the first day a monkey hasn't died on set. Slap him around a bit. So <laughs> <know> that- <laughs> Show him who's boss. Uh, but yeah, this was also like like I thinking of like the omen shit when they're driving through that that uh, safari park and there's all those monkeys freaking out. I imagine the, the monkeys just kept freaking out on set until they were heavily sedated and you just they just kept having to murder them because they would come back even like, more murderous. Throughout his presidency, all of his like aides are like, remember, don't let them take photo ops at the zoo. <laughs> the monkeys <laughs> flip the fuck out. Those bozos monkeys talked. The ones that survived, like they told all the other monkeys. It was like the fucking. It was like a fucking Planet of the Apes movie, man. We had to get out. The, we had to get out the M15s for that. Reagan fucked a monkey corpse. <laughs> <laughs> all the monkeys it, knew about uh, it. Uh, it feels like a woman, <laughs> nice and blobby on the inside. Huh, I got an idea. <laughs> I'm doing this for capitalism. <laughs> Everything is mine. Yeah, but Blob is totally an idea. Yeah, I, I like the idea of the Blob as a, as a weapon. He's like, you know, communists, communists hate to be dissolved into goo. <laughs> oh, those communists hate goo. <laughs> also, make sure we get some hog tests. <laughs> There is probably something to be said here that, like, this is a, a anti-government movie where they're also, like, they end up fighting this giant blob, and the blob is, like, it's not a mass consciousness the way, like, <clears throat> a lot of horror horror films have where you're, like, the, it, it, you know, it's not, like, the sort of horror version of, of a, you know, a, a communist uh, monster. Um, but it is, like, a conglomerated thing that grows and grows and grows by consuming the populace. So, like, I'm sure somebody could write a college thesis about why the blob is actually about the the cold war but uh i don't i I don't really want to get into that too much i just really wanted to make fun of ronald reagan true fucking monster who fucked the dead chimpanzee i usually would say allegedly here but it's factually yes yeah it's on wikipedia (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's on it's on chimpopedia Chimpopedia. (laughs) Just catalogs crimes against chimps. We're actually pretty far into this, but I should say, Peter's always (laughs) been very evangelical. Yeah. I'm pretty pretty far far into into this, this, but I want more people to die. So Reagan, or Reagan, sorry, Peter. You and Reagan are just, you're like visually the same. Um, (laughs) Peter has been very evangelical about this movie. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my guess is because it has a strong thing vibe, or at least from a special effects department. It's a th- it uh, has a thing vibe for sure. Yeah, yeah, not so much like in the like who's who's the blob now, but in the once like the thing explodes and has to do crazy crazy shit to kill everyone with its like amorphous body. Uh, I think there's a little bit of that here. Uh, but I had always, I actually watched like 30 minutes of it back in like 2006 or seven, hearing that it was good. And then I forget why I didn't end up, get a chance to finish it. And then like a lot of movies that you start, make it substantially in and don't finish. You're like, takes you forever to go rewatch those again. Cause you're always like, should I pick it back up where I left it? It was a year ago. Uh, so I finally actually watched it all the way through for the first time, partially at Peter's urgings um, last uh, Spooktober and really, really liked it. Uh, definitely some goofy stuff. The gory scenes, the special effects scenes, the overall like pace is really, really fun and has some good twists and turns. Uh, Charlie, I believe this was your first time ever seeing this. I don't know. Peter, I feel like you and I watched this, didn't we? I, I no, because I think I wa- well maybe I don't know. I, I I only watched it in the past like five six years. Um, yeah, and I was and then I at that point I was like, this is a movie that captures a lot of of what I love about um, late eighties hardcore special effects movies. Uh, it captures a lot of what I love about the thing, like just the sheer movie magic of special effects. Uh, but also, it's it's entirely more silly and and more. Um, it's trying to modernize the concept of like what a, a like a fifties creature feature is um in a way that like i i found deeply impressive but i don't know did i i, I don't i don't know if we, i made you watch it or not but i i feel like this is a movie that would be perfect for us to watch together which is why i chose i, I like i was like you should watch the blob or you should watch these this other movie and you were like the blob sounds like blob sounds good yeah so what did you think of it yeah did you like it uh, yeah i thought it was fun i thought it was like it was like a swirl of kind of like 80s paranoia and i kept wondering if it was really about hiv aids too like as I yeah. was, as I was watching it, you know, it's like kind of like this thing that honestly some conspiracy theorists believe the government created um, that starts off on the fringes of society. You know, it's like it infects this homeless person, and then it's almost about to infect, you know, like the town like rebel. And the whole movie really is about like um, protecting uh, Meg. Right? She is like she is like the the daughter that like needs to be protected like at the end of this movie and the blob is coming for the whole time. So it kind of like really felt like, like it could be also about like HIV really like coming for like, you know, coming for like your daughters. Uh, And and as long as it's a, it's a sin against Reagan and his inability to act against uh, uh, AIDS and HIV. um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm aligned with that theory now um, because (laughs) the, 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 like, the concept of this movie being about something that grows and grows and spreads kind of in the shadows. It starts somewhere small and then eventually the government has a vested interest in seeing how far it can go. Like um, mm-hmm. that's that. The, yeah, I, I read I didn't read that when I watched the movie for this watch, but like I, that rings true for me. Yeah, I think it's kind of a perfect swirl of all those kinds of like horrors at the time and uh, like. I don't know, and it's but it's still fun. Like it's still like the all the effects are like really well done, and I really like the scene where like 
the that kid gets eaten by the blob and he's hanging from the ceiling but he's still like swinging his yo-yo for some reason yeah <laughs> it's so gross yeah. <laughs> like it's oh, just, i it, love it no just the effects are great like they're really great some of the effects where they show the blob like like at large scale like aren't that great but like all of the kind of close-up effects like are in like really well done like i couldn't figure out how the hell they like made this blob move the way they did yeah, and I think the sort of compositing that they do, the distance compositing, sometimes it feels purposeful the way that there's there's sort of a uh, a distance between the miniature version and the large version. Um, but, you know, in another sense, this was a, a, a somewhat low-budget movie, and it was made by um, this uh, SFX artist, Tony Gardner, um, who's 23 years old when he made this movie. Like, how fucking crazy is that? Um, and he was originally just going to do some effects. And then as time went on and, you know, the budget never got bigger, uh, his role expanded from that to heading up a crew of 33 people. Like, imagine being 23 years old and then they put a crew of 33 people under you. And now you're in charge of a <clears throat> a movie that is a SFX you're not just in charge of like a few, you know, squibs for a shootout. You're in charge of the monster that the title of the movie is fucking about. Like, imagine that pressure. But the the other part I want to talk about, because we'll definitely talk a lot about the special effects, because like I said, it's the movie. It has a sort of, like Charlie said, it has like a very fun sort of like light touch at times, despite the fact that the effects get really gnarly and really gross. Um, and it it, it it sort of feels like to me uh, it's it's uh, from an era of 80s films that were hearkening back to the 50s. Um, like Christine very consciously is doing that. Night of the Creeps is consciously doing that. Creep Show, uh, which was consciously going back to like comics of the 50s. Um, and that sort of the, having this sort of uh, uh, let's modernize the it fits into that sort of mold with me. It let's modernize the uh, sort of fifties creature features, uh, but for a new audience and with a sort of maybe there's a fifties or you know an eighties style uh, social mm-hmm. message. Um, maybe we're gonna you know we're obviously gonna have to update the special effects but they're still gonna be done practically which is really cool but the fact that it has Mm -hmm. a sort of kooky 50s creature feature vibe i think uh really helps smooth over any effects that look a little um too fakey um but but all yeah charlie a lot of the the close-up stuff is like i can't tell if that's a miniature or we're actually in the room with the thing like i can't fucking tell it's interesting that we've we've talked a lot about era and i actually think Peter and I have been talking this month about the way these remakes kind of fit into their horror movie eras. And um, I actually think that this movie starts a year in 1988 that is the beginning of the largest like stretch where horror movies lacked an identity uh, from 1998 until Scream comes out in 1996. Like, it doesn't mean that there weren't good horror movies being made. But, like, the only trend line that I could determine was that, like, horror movie budgets were not being seen, budgets were being slashed, even popular uh, even popular properties were running out of gas, and budgets were uh, being cut significantly, and, like, the, their best years were behind it. And there wasn't really a new horror trend that got people excited about them until Scream came out. So, 87... Uh, a lot of those movies you talked about, Peter, like the John Carpenter stuff, uh, Evil Dead, a lot of those things, it kind of represents that kind of gory bloodbath of the 80s that was capitalizing 
on both the home video market, popularity of slashers was big, a lot of that stuff. From 88 to 95, I went and looked. Uh, most horror movies that were the number one grossing of that year, setting aside some like exceptions like Silence of the Lambs and some other things that, while popular, I don't think were like true like horror movie icons that started trends for the most part, if that's fair. Or at least these kind of like, let's make 20 versions of that. The highest grossing uh, horror movie of 1994 was uh, New Nightmare, which made like $15 million at the box office. The highest grossing movie of uh, of like 1991 was whatever, Friday the 13th, and made like $11 million. For horror movies as a whole, it was a weird time where like people had got sick of the slasher genre. People weren't going to theaters to see them, and it was before something had revitalized it. And this movie kind of was unsuccessful and kind of came where this specific type of movie, the uh, gore fest, was actually kind of becoming out of vogue unless you made it for two or three million dollars. Yeah, and it's it, it, this sort of monster movie, I feel like, uh, even in an era that's known for having these big special effects movies, uh, it, all three of us have dug down into this era a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I can think of few that uh, operate at a scale like this. Like this is, this is an expensive yeah. looking movie uh, almost throughout. And it, it's a movie that you feel like would burn through its budget for like a second act kind of climactic moment. And then there wouldn't be anything left for the third act climax. Um, but in the third act of the movie, there's just like the this like amazing standoff with the monster, and the the monster somehow just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's 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 so it's it's just so impressive. Um, do we want to talk about the SFX to make sure we have time for it? Yeah, we're we're getting to the end. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so so I want to talk about really quickly. I talked about Tony Gardner. Uh, the, the 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 sort of uh, he he was he came from uh, the Rick Baker school almost like he was someone who mixed up techniques a ton, um, which which many people did not do well at that school and flunked out because he confusingly called it the baking school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people would go and they'd be like, hey. Right to make some cupcakes, and he's like, oh yeah, what about this? And then Tom Savini's, like, fucking head would come out of someone else's, like, butt or something. And they're like, no! <laughs> I just wanted to... He's like, how do you like that cupcake? <laughs> yeah, that's a cupcake yeah. at the baking school for bakers. <laughs> <laughs> so the SFX guy uh, worked for Rick Baker on Thriller, and in, his, in you know he he used all the techniques in his in, in in that sort of book, which is like radio controlled limbs and using full sort of miniature work and using uh, great composite work and obviously building full size models when you could. Uh, one of the full size models for the Blob was uh, like. A, a, a silk quilt almost that was filled with goo um and uh one real quick a couple of last notes on how cool this guy tony gardner is um so do you guys remember all the gross um uh, uh bullet wound scenes in three three kings mm -hmm. yeah he was responsible for that so much so that the arizona state police investigated him uh, to make sure, almost in a cannibal holocaust style thing, to make sure that he didn't actually shoot cadavers for those scenes. Well, that was nice. That's, that's rules, right? Like your effects are so compliment. good that you that they have to involve the cops. 
Mm-hmm. And he also, I don't know if he designed the original one, but he helped uh, Daft Punk uh, work on their, their helmets and, like, get the light helmets working, um, which is a, a amazing, like, fucking uh, feather in your cap, right? Because he, he directed some of their music videos. Well, sure. I mean, he probably did, after this movie, knew how to do a motorcycle stunt. So he had he had helmets lying around the house. Yeah. And then when Big Daft Punk comes over to play at your house, they're like, hey. Can I borrow one of these? <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna make some music and never show our faces. And he's like, uh, sure. And he, no, he's like, he's like, are you sure you just want a normal motorcycle helmet? And he's like, and they're like, yep, normal motorcycle helmet is good for us. The band Daft Punk. Uh, <laughs> and he says, oh, oh, let me uh, investigate a little bit. Uh, the goo helmet did not go well. They left. He had to chase them down and offer them a light helmet. And that is how history is made. So, uh, one last note on this guy, because he's cool. Um, he uh, worked alongside uh, Steve Johnson's VFX company, which you should definitely Google. I think it's called uh, XFX. Uh, and then uh, WLTW favorite, he worked with Screaming Mad George on Freaked. Definitely Google it. Do your own research. Yeah. Don't, Screaming don't Mad, expect us. Screaming Mad don't George. Don't expect us to give you all the information. Screaming Mad George uh, is 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 a true true legend in the field. Charlie, do you remember? Did I make you watch Society? Mm, don't think so. Oh my with god! With the goo know. with the, the the goo party. I would never forget a goo party. Oh, we did. Oh, we we did watch that movie though. Yeah, <laughs> there. Yeah, you want to see gooified dicks? Yeah, he found a he found a, a fellow uh, uh, gooficionado, <laughs> Mad George. It's all gooified dicks. Um, it, yeah, maybe I just want to watch society. Maybe I don't actually want to see the blob uh, implode some dicks. Yeah, can we talk about the best gro- the best SFX scenes before we kind of walk towards the end of this? Because uh, my favorite my favorite effect in the whole movie is the phone booth scene. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! So cool. She's in the phone booth, and then one wall fills up, and one wall fills up, and another wall fills up, and then eventually you're the. It, it's a well lit scene of the, just her in this yeah. pink chamber. It's so gross looking, and then all of a sudden, I think the walls crashing at the same time the ceiling crashes in, and she's just torn asunder. It's so it's so gross and so scary in a way that like movies almost never are. It's like this in society and the thing give me that sort of body horror feeling where I'm like, well, what if my body is just a bunch of pieces that can come apart at any moment? <laughs> Did you guys get kind of a one thing that the the blob really reminded me of, especially in like scenes like that, Peter, was uh, Ghostbusters too. Yes, yes, that was my note. Yeah, Dude, it, I, it's it's uh, Ghostbusters two slime effects. Yes, yes. It really like makes you wonder if either it because it didn't have the same special effects guy. Did they like watch this and we're like, got it, pink slime time? And they're like, we've goo to do that with our fucking kill me. (laughs) Dan Aykroyd called Chuck Russell like at three in the morning. Hey, you got any extra slime from that movie you made last year? Also, your movie fucking suck because aliens are real. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Aykroyd would love this movie just because it's about a government conspiracy, right? He doesn't. Yeah, yeah but I mean, he also believes that he probably was bummed that it's a government conspiracy. Yeah, so like, because yeah. he wants every movie to be propaganda for the great 
vodka, Crystal Head Vodka, which if you listen to any any interview with uh, Dan Aykroyd Vodka, Dan Aykroyd, he will be very clear that he's on it to promote Crystal Head Vodka, a also, purely organic, with- purely cleaned, uh, quadruple distilled, uh, served to you in an alien skull vodka. Uh, yeah. He loves that vodka, that old drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you only drink it out of a skull. <laughs> I only I drink them out of skulls. I wrote Ghostbusters. I gotta yeah. say, though, it, it's fucking insane, though, that I've never bought Crystal Skull Vodka, considering uh, its pedigree, uh, my financial uh, my, my f- financial bad uh, decision-making, uh, and the fact that uh, I like alcohol. Like... The all of that and it's it's alcohol that's served in a skull like it's really it's really impossible. You can keep yeah you can keep the bottle. I've beaten the I've somehow beaten the odds that I haven't bought a, a skull vodka bottle just to keep the bottle. Like really, truly. it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's only like fifty bucks. Yeah. Why haven't we bought this? Is it really? That's pretty expensive vodka. Yeah, but not Dan Aykroyd's vodka. Not sure, vodka yeah. that you get to keep the bottle afterwards and then put flowers in it or something. I don't know. What do you what do you do with skulls? Uh I'm trying to see if I have any more notes. I do like that they uh properly foreshadowed uh sick motorcycle jumps. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I, I if he just jumped that bridge, I would have been like, This sucks. No context for it. <laughs> you tell me this mullet guy drives the motorcycles, can do motorcycle jumps? Uh, <laughs> the movie's full of shit. Uh, oh, I see. He's practicing earlier. I missed that. I went and got popcorn. It's, it makes a lot more sense. It's interesting when we compare this to the thing, like that the actual movie itself doesn't feel like like the thing is a very like dread feel. Like it doesn't feel like it's a particularly like fifties inspired or forties inspired. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's particularly connected to Thing from Another World, which I think we point out in the actual thi- the thing episode we did years ago. Um, that it doesn't feel that connected to the original. Um, it's it's readapting the original book. Um, this feels like they're saying they're taking the original concept and they're um, they're updating it with with new crazy effects and actually uh, interesting characters. It's not doing too much like let's totally like uh, reframe everything, right? Like for better or worse, it's not like a Dawn of the Dead. It's not like a crazies which is like totally changing the perspective of the movie it's like what if we make the blob concept but this time make a good movie that people want to see and i think that was a smart choice honestly like let's make a good one Uh, i i yeah charlie what do you think about that like do you think that it's good to make a good movie Hmm, no i think that was it'll never pay off no i mean it didn't pay off right yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean the problem—the yeah. <laughs> the problem with the original movie is that it's just not—it's not scary and it's not that fun. And yeah. the new one is like also—I'm not—I'm not totally sure if the new one's that scary. I think the, the uh, while Sasha and my wife was watching it at the same time, at the end of it, she just turns to me and she goes, "Was this movie scary?" I was like, "Well, <laughs> not quite." I don't know if it's scary, but I think it's—I think the effects definitely uh, a trigger revulsion in me at times. And and the football player dying is super shocking, and having to like mm-hmm. see his skull under all that goo is like that's that's yeah. shocking. I don't know if it's—I don't know if it's—it's it's scary so much as just like, oh god. Yeah, yeah, it's gross, which is definitely different than scary, but something that like 
horror movies don't have to be like just a just a terror delivery system. One thing that's a lot of fun is you get to see these special effects do weird shit to the human body. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, gross is I think an acceptable uh reason to uh to watch a horror movie. I think this does succeed pretty well at that. Um my only like last thing that I want to mention that I'm fine going to to final thoughts. I really it's 1988, but this movie is making fun of uh, slasher conventions. They there's a fake movie. I forget what it's called. Yeah, it's your classic slice and dice. Yeah, mm. ah, great line that these two kids are going to go see, and they cut to it like people watching the movie, like it's a real movie, uh, to a very funny scene of two people uh, about to have sex while their neighbor is like cutting stuff with a chainsaw, and they're like, "Well, whatever." I know it's in the middle of the night. Um, yeah. Well, let's just give him a show if he wants to do it. But the best line is that like. Uh, when they realize that something's off, they say, wait a minute, hockey season ended months ago. <laughs> uh, which is very, very, very good. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's funny that, like, again, those those Friday the 13th Nightmare on Elm Street movies are still the biggest horror box office draw in 1988 and for the next, like, six years. Well, we should. Well, what's funny about that is that Chuck Russell, the director, he hasn't directed a ton of movies, um, but he did direct some. A very he has a very cool. He's a weird filmography. Cool little film filmography, and I only like like two of the movies in it. Um, but like the the notable ones are this, The Blob, um, Dream Warriors, Nightmare on Elm Street three, which I also really like. I like basically all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Um, yeah, and then he also did The Mask. Uh, yeah, he, that is such a weird one. He's been interviewed a lot about that, and I watched part of one essentially because uh, the ma- the original Mask comic book. Charlie, did you know this? The original Mask comic book is like super gory, and it's part of like the '90s sort of Spawn era. Um, no, I had no idea it was a comic book. Yeah, it was, but it was like gory and crazy and like very like punky almost. Like it was a a there was like very little plotting at times. Like and it was just supposed to be sort of an excuse for like wanton violence and social commentary and stuff and then they made it into like a family comedy he was like he gets interviewed all the time about that how much he loves the original comic book and how he like journeyed to make it like a how it ended up being a family comedy because of like the producers involved and like eventually he was just kind of like well i'm 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 gonna make a movie (laughs) i don't know if it's faithful (laughs) to the original but uh, and then he also made a, like, classic Arnold movie. And I don't say classic, like, good, but, like, classic, like, this is Arnold at, like, right as his, his star is start, starting to wane the first time um, in uh, in Eraser, which is, like, it's got yeah. all the, it's got, it hits all of the Arnold beats in a very classic way. And it's got a rail gun, which but, is, like, the, but, do, but doesn't connect. But it's not a good movie, no. But it yeah. has all of the beats where, it's basically like, hey... This has all of the things I like in Arnold movies. Why doesn't it have? It is just funny the way that directing has changed to like, if someone made a mask nowadays, they would be a director that we would know their name. And because that movie was huge, right? Like it helped propel along with Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey to stardom, made well more than its budget, was like at the time well received by critics. P.S. The the Mask is not a good movie. I've never liked it even when I was a kid was the target audience but on paper you would think this guy ends up having a big career instead he makes yeah end of days schwarzenegger movie before end of days and that his career was waning but not specifically the movie end of days 
and then he makes uh like a like a six cents attempt to capitalize on it, like uh, supernatural horror type stuff, and bless this child, which is also not a very good movie. Yeah, he's not ultimately like someone with like a dense filmography you can jump into. He's not a master of horror, but he did make like two very classic horror movies. Two very good horror movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to talk about other some other SFX stuff before we go to final thoughts. Um, I love the whole going down Main Street sequence, like. Just the, the yeah. creative ways that the blob, they come up with using the blob, like uh, the flamethrower guy get uh, getting his flamethrower plugged so the flamethrower explodes. Um, and the, that awesome shot of the pillars of the blob wrapping around, the, the blob wrapping around the pillars of the main hall is like so good. Mm-hmm. Um, that like final sequence yeah. is just like so epic. I appreciate any monster that pays attention to Main Street over Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one problem with the movie. Thinking of, you know, for somebody who would want someday make Eraser. Uh, they, is it is it the complete vacuum of lead characters I like, that you care about? I like Meg. She's, she's alright. She's got... I like her. I like her in Saw, and I did like her on, like... Becker was a was a show that I worked at a video rental store, like a gas station one, that no one came into, and I worked there Monday nights when Becker was on. So I would watch Becker, and she was very funny on that show. She's also a uh, no, that's actually her Becker co-star is in one of the Hellraiser movies, but um, Terry Farrell. But like, I, I don't think she's a bad actress, but like, they just they they as much as we made fun of kevin dylan he really doesn't have any lines in this movie <laughs> and yeah i think he's good as the sort of like you know rebel archetype yeah it's not a detriment and a lot of the side characters are really good jeffrey demon is the, great the, i love jeffrey demon yeah and the psych out about like here's your good guy character who dies 30 minutes in all great mm-hmm. but then it is just like kind of two dum-dums being <laughs> Uh, running into way more interesting characters for the rest of the movie. I do think the biggest improvement they could have made is if those two, as a romance or as individual characters, were compelling. Yeah, I th- I like Meg as a character, but um, I will say one failure that she has, and you know maybe would have pushed it over the line for you, uh, is she literally blows up a nitrogen, a liquid nitrogen truck, and has no one liner, mm. like. Nobody's business. I see you later. (laughs) Chill out. You were a blob, but now you're a freezy pop. (laughs) Yes. 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 Aaron, Aaron, I was going to let Peter just keep coming up with new ones and just say nothing. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Just keep letting him do this. I do like to see him fail. (laughs) Ice, ice, blobby. Hold on, you want Vanilla Ice to be sued by two people after he writes that song? <laughs> Queen, David Bowie, and the creators of the blog. He's like, all but I can still when- I can I can still collect royalties for the dance I do in the music video. <laughs> but yeah, I love I also love just one last SFX thing before we go to final thoughts. Uh d- the dude. I realizing want you to do uh, three hold on. No, no, no. No. Three more one liners. <laughs> yeah. Uh uh. You can't even think of bad ones? <laughs> I just did so many. Just say words. It's very easy to fail. Have some freezy pieces. <laughs> like E.T. Um, <laughs> All puns should need an asterisk with, with a bibliography. Shove this down your pie cold. 
<laughs> one more. One more. Keep going. Bring it home. Uh, uh, I'm chill crazy. What? <laughs> what? It's like chill crazy. <laughs> the point uh, is... Uh, you can call me Skeet Ulrich because this is what I call the chill fact. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Del Close is in this movie. I had to just keep going. The point is improv is always bad. <laughs> always. You just have to keep going with don't, it. Don't say that. People won't listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> the show's not scripted. They're like, oh. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was following the script this entire time. I know, but you just asked a question off script, and I didn't know what to do. Uh, it would be it'd be incredibly creepy if uh, Charlie actually had a script of everything that we were going to say. Yeah, ha ha. Good one, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent uh, job. When's this going to be over? If can you look at the script and tell me how many more pages are left? Yeah, the stenographer. Uh, we're in the second act. Sorry, buddy. Sorry. Oh no! <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. So, uh, Charlie, do you have any final thoughts on Chuck Russell's? Wait, didn't you want? Hold on, didn't we do all that because you wanted to say some shit? I have final say thoughts. Say your shit. Oh, you're gonna okay. Well, Charlie, go first. All right, Charlie. Charlie, do you have any final thoughts on De Blob? What do you think? Uh, about? Uh, I thought De Blob was uh, funny, and um. It was uh, the pacing was really great. I thought like it looked really like pretty and was like really well shot. Like it was just very like it was just a, like a fun ninety minutes that was just I thought really well executed and yeah it didn't it didn't turn anything on its head you know it didn't like turn the genre upside down but it was just it was it was like very like competent and I thought thoughtful for like what the material was yeah yeah exactly it's 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 uh it's it's what it needs to be right um my kind of final thoughts are just like more on the the kind of uh adaptation portion of it um these military scientists loudly discussing plans like one kid on a bike escaping them with on a that these military scientists loudly discussing plans. Uh, one kid on a bike escaping them by jumping a ravine. Like it has a very like 1950s like let's do some counter you know countercultural clashing together. Let's get the let's get some of these punk rebel without a cause kids in there, and like let's get a scientist government scientist who can't shut his fucking mouth about his secret awful plan. <laughs> like that's very tonally aligned with the original and 50 genre work in general. Um, it adapts the tone to more of like an Amblin version of that because like there's that Amblin vision uh, of the, you know, the 50s adapted into the 80s. Um, and uh, it helps capture some of that small town magic um, in, in the way that like I think like uh, Super 8 uh, did where it's just kind of like a cool monster movie set in a small town and I like the characters in Super 8 better, but it sort of had that feel for me, where it's, it's just, um, it's sort of adapting uh, the past to a new sort of uh, understanding, but it's modernizing the concept by uh, shucking away a lot of, like, the sort of 50s stiffness and the staginess uh, that some of these, these these creature features could have. Not all of them. Um, but it also, it had, like, a little shop of horrors quality where I was like, holy shit, like... 
these these like 80s creature effects could be um impressive in a way that like is kind of unnecessary they could have had the blob in the shadows the whole time but instead the blob like comes out of the gate screaming like charlie said like it's just like the whole the whole movie has the blob essentially uh popping up every i think the the rule is like every 15 minutes you need like an action beat in movies uh this is like every eight minutes it feels like something gross happens and uh yeah it's not a true modernization uh like you know uh it's not like it's not kicking off it's not kicking off all of the sort of old creature feature stuff because it clearly comes from a place of love similar to you know joe dante's movies and uh dan o'bannon's movies of the eight of that same era um it's not shucking all that stuff off it's taking the stuff from that era that it likes and it's glomming onto it it even has this cheapo charles band style score um that would be awful if it wasn't in this sort of fun gloopy movie um and it makes it more of like kooky fun than dreadful which i think sort of separates it from the thing it's far more watchable than the thing even though the thing is my favorite movie um because it has this sort of kooky fun creature feature vibe and the fact that it has wall-to-wall uh sfx um but yeah this this sort of riffing on this idealized version of the 50s uh by having like this asshole cop basically throw in uh, you know, Jeff DeMunn's a good character, but he, he kind of throws it in um, in Flag's face that like, hey, man, you're about to turn 18. And I'm like, I'm actually going to haul your ass off to jail. Like the sort of uh, taking the 50s archetype and basically saying like, hey, in the 80s, the Fonz would have probably been arrested for something um, is a, <laughs> is, is to me what this movie is. Um, it fits neatly within that film movement. It's not revolutionizing the genre, but it was taking a core concept, updating it uh, with, with uh, far more impressive special effects and uh, making it like a respectable horror entry. And like, what more can you ask for? Yeah. Yeah. So for my final thoughts, I will say that uh, most movie monsters or horror movie stuff are solids traditionally uh godzilla king kong frankenstein's uh, freddy freddy krueger they're mostly solids now sometimes you do get some liquids it's rare but like t1000 very scary i think ultimately liquid uh water from any movie where someone drowns terrifying uh, sometimes it's very rare you get gases like uh, from the movie The Fog or Airborne Viruses. You rarely have horror movies that star kind of a gel. I think that's what we all agree. Is, that a, is it a plasma? Maybe a plasma. Yeah, I don't know that much about uh, the three states of matter besides or the states of matter besides the three that I just said, Charlie. Hmm. And I think that's what makes horror interesting is the mystery of once you start working outside the lines of matter in its most common states, what you can kind of skeet scat and come up with. And in this case, I think plasma, gels, rubbers, maybe, I don't know, showed us a terrifying glimpse of where more horror movie monsters could have gone that ultimately didn't. So I love the movie. I think ultimately it's a pretty sad, uh, sad day in history when this movie was released that no one followed suit from a substance perspective. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's good to keep your keep your monsters limber. Um, the best way to do that is to get them get them out there challenging states of matter. 
Um, so yeah, like challenge your own perceptions of what matter could be and what monsters could be, you know? Yeah. And next week to kind of prove a point, we're doing solids, fishes in water with the 2010 movie Piranha, the remake of the Joe Dante classic, uh, and a movie I, I quite like, uh, but again, um, definitely falls. We are talking about movies, horror movies that aren't really scary. This, uh, this definitely falls into horror movie spectacle over fear, but it's a movie I enjoy quite a bit. And we are joined by, uh, Salim Garami as our guest. Uh, Charlie, do you have anything to promote? Hmm. Uh, racial harmony. Let's try that. All right. Uh, possibly mp3.com still has some tracks. Maybe they can eventually get up to $10, uh, which is probably now worth more in $2020. Yeah, that website doesn't exist anymore, but maybe if you click enough on the Wayback Machine, uh, yeah. we can finally get our nickel. <laughs> Internet History Archive. <laughs> that would be rad if, if that was the only copy of that album you still had was on like an old MP3 website and we and like you had to pay money for it. Not only did we never cash out, this cost us money. <laughs> I it, it exists on a CDR right now, and I'm terrified to like well, I don't really have anywhere to put a CDR, but I'm also terrified to see if that thing is still readable. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. I'm excited for next week. Peter, Charlie, uh, it's been fun being in a Moran sandwich. That's all I got. Moranwich? Moranwich. Moranwich? Yeah. Good night. You, yeah. You, you're the pickle on a Moranwich. <laughs> Who's the... Wait. It's just a pickle sandwich? There's no meat? Uh, and some uh, mayo. Ugh, it's pretty it's tough sandwich. times, dude. We're living in this Trump economy. <laughs> you get the cream and you get the crunch. What more do you want? Yeah. You don't know what you're getting from shipped at this point. <laughs> it's just madness. <laughs> you can place an order, but you don't know what's coming. So I noticed- pretty soon you're making pickle mayo moranwiches. Uh, I noticed you had bread here, um, and uh, I noticed you had mayo here. I noticed you had turkey here. Um, do you mind if I just get you three jars of mayo? <laughs> <laughs> Stop by a Catholic church and got you a bunch of unblessed communion hosts. <laughs> you said I could switch it out without a text. So, this is on you. On that note, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Good night.
you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>